0: If you would, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're still there. Uh, We'll be in verse 16 today as we continue our series through the Ten Commandments. That was good, wasn't it? That's so good to get to worship the Lord in this way, and I am just abundantly thankful as I, uh, yeah, oftentimes as I stand right there and, and get to sing songs like that, uh, with, with, with a room filling the the void with your voices, uh, it's kind of I, I wonder like who couldn't preach after that, right? Like if you can't preach after that, you shouldn't be a preacher. And uh, now I just set myself up like I better do a good job. Um, no, as I was thinking some about uh, this text and and in some ways how, uh, like it it. Um, it's just another rule, right? If, if we look at it one way, it can feel like it's just another rule. These commandments, these ten rules, ten words, ten commands from God to his people. Then, doesn't it sometimes just feel like another rule? Like in, in some ways it's like, okay, here we go. Again, the, the next thing on the list for us to do or not do. So even as we study this today, I am praying that it will be more than just another rule for us. It will be more than just another box to check on the list of things to do and not do. But instead, that it will help us see how we might look more like Christ in His perfection, and how we might be closer to our Father who is in heaven. So, read with me, just. This short verse, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Most of the time, that is taught to us as children as do not lie. Or, right, if you grew up King James, they would have said, thou shalt not lie. But it still would have been that idea. Do not bear false witness. Do not speak false things. I would... It would not make. It would not make sense. Like if this was only "do not lie," that that actually is uh, less significant than it needs to be, right? If you think about it, if those first four laws are really strongly related to our relationship with the Lord, it would it would be odd to then go five, six, seven, eight, and then skip to ten, right? So it it doesn't make sense that that this is just addressing. Uh, the idea of not lying. This is why he speaks specifically against someone when it says in verse uh, there in verse sixteen, "Do not bear false witness against your neighbor." This isn't just about you bearing false witness against, like about yourself. So this isn't just false testimony about yourself, right? You can lie. Uh, this happens at in every household, right? Not just at mine. I hope, but when when kids do stuff and they try to say they didn't do the thing that they did, right? Uh, We do that same thing, right? No, I didn't really do that. Well, that's just lying about ourselves. But this says something more than that. This is bearing false witness against someone else. See, this is helping us understand how we relate to other people. But it's even more than do not lie about your neighbor. There's specific legal testimony being argued here. That this idea of a false witness, someone would have asked for your verification of something. Did you, did you see what they are claiming? Are you an eyewitness to this account? And then you would bear false witness. You would speak wrongfully about the thing that you saw or the thing that you did not see. But this is more than just a courtroom. It's like every time we turn around, there's more to it, right? For nothing is outside the courtroom of God. So today, we're going to be looking at four opposing options that we have. And, and what I mean by that is not each one, uh, it's not like, it's not like we'll, we can choose option one, option two, option three, or option four. It's that in each set, we will see these uh, two things that are in opposition to one another but we will be able to choose which way we go, right? So, and we will find one renowned reality. So, four opposing options and one renowned reality. Today, uh, the first option is this. Will we tear down or will we build up? Tearing down. Why would that be in conjunction with false witness. Well, think about it. When you are speaking poorly about someone, that that surely wouldn't be something that is good witness for them. It's not helping them in any way. And so this is the idea of reviling, right? To revile, to, to speak against someone in this way. And some of you might say, and I am, I've got that one. I want to challenge you to consider your social media posts. Maybe not even the ones that you type out, but the ones that you share, right? And maybe you might consider uh, when you speak of people that you have never even met, when you speak of people or you share an article or you share a thing, you share something that somebody else posted, and you, you just, you're, you're simply, you're not, you're not the one who's saying it, right? You like to feel like your hands off because you didn't say the words. You didn't speak them in that way. But when you share that thing or when you type those words, what, what good is it doing? If you're being honest, when you look in the mirror, or maybe better yet, when you look at the screen that you type on, some of us, we're outright mean. Like, we're unkind. It's not just uncouth, right? Like this idea of being a little bit uh, less fancy, less polite. It's that, like, you're rude. And you would never say those things to those persons, to to their face. But behind a screen... We're all but vile. Oh, church, let us not be that. Right? And I'm not, I'm not speaking to any one of you in particular, but if you think I'm speaking to you, I probably am. You know what I mean? We, we also tear down, not just in political conversations, but also in personal conversations. When we get angry with our siblings. For those of you who still live in the same house with your siblings, right? You can be mean to them. You can say some really harsh things. Those of you who are married, when there's that marital spout, that spat, that, I mean, we just let words fly. That whole sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that's hogwash. Right? I mean, words hurt, and they hurt more from people that are supposed to love you. And it's, it's like uh, you know what you can say to hurt even more because you know them better. So you know that if they are bothered about this certain aspect of their life, you can just kind of push that button, dig in that way. Words do hurt. They always hurt the most from those who we are closest to. But you know what? Jesus did not revile. I think about this. In 1 Peter Peter 2, it says this. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Man, if anyone had the right, if that makes sense, to revile back, to spat back, to, to speak back, it was him. He hadn't actually done the things that they were accusing him of. He hadn't actually done anything wrong. Most of the time when people say stuff about us, the reason we don't like it is because they're right. Right? I mean, that's that's the reality. That's why it hurts so bad because they're telling us something that isn't true or that is true or at least slightly true, and we don't like that. So what do we do? Man, we say something right back. You know, the whole slow-to-speak thing? We're not good at that. Or I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I am not good at that. Right? Someone says something about me or something says somebody about my family or my friends, buddy, I'm coming right back at it. I go whip in like immediate defense mode. But if we w- are saying that the Ten Commandments are designed to help us look different than the world, then wouldn't it make sense that we wouldn't tear down? That if the world is in a cycle of tearing down, if that's what we see on news stations, on either side, by the way, if that's what we see on social media posts, on either side, politically or personally, wouldn't it make sense that we would look different than they do. And so what's the opposite of tearing down? It is building up. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you build others up? Is that in your habit? Do you use... the the different avenues that you have to speak words that are encouraging, right? Like, do you, you've heard this phrase maybe, like, do you speak life into others? You speak words that will build them up and allow them to hear and see that, that God has uniquely made them, designed them, created them. That he has made them to be image bearers of his. And so instead of tearing them down, instead of finding the buttons to push, finding the ways that you know you can dig at them more, have you found the ways that you can build them up? Find, found those same spots that, that hurt them and say, no, I'm going to try to come under and lift them up. Did you know that the word encouragement means? To come under and lift up. Oh, That's, that's taking it a step further, Right? If I'm going to come under that, I'm going to go down to where you are. I'm going to see you for the hardship that you're having. I'm going to see where the, the dark spot is. And, and as a fellow person, a fellow human, I'm going to say, oh, like I, I'm down here with you, and, and God's got something better. God, God loves you. God cares for you. God, God like, is thankful for, that he made you. God is glad to have you exist. That's building up. So I wonder, do you do that? Like, do you look for ways that you can do that? I would encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you. Maybe you would see this. This is a personal goal this week. Some of you are starting back school this week, so call it homework. I don't care. Write one note of encouragement this week. Like an actual pen to paper, try out a stamp. If you don't know how to write a letter, I will teach you. It's, It's not that hard, right? Write a note to someone that you think might just need a word of encouragement. Maybe they need it specifically from you. Maybe there's a family member who needs a note on their pillow from you. Right? They just need to hear that mom or dad is proud of them. Maybe they need to hear that child, maybe you need to write a note to mom or dad. I'm thankful for you. You make the best sandwiches. Right? Whatever the thing is, write a note of encouragement this week. And consider, like, by the way, when you write it, also give it. I I should have made that clear. Don't just write it and stick it in a drawer. Give it to someone that, like, we're talking about very practical, okay? Don't tear down, build up. Uh, just another word of practical advice, pause. Before you type, just pause. I, I really do believe that so many of the things that get typed or shared or spoken, if we would just pause, take two minutes to think, do I really want to say that? Don't be afraid of the backspace after you type it. Nope. How many, how many of you have done that? Right? Okay. I've done that. Uh, nope. Backspace. Try that again. Nope. Backspace. Right? Pause. There's nothing wrong with pausing. The worst thing that happens is they see those three dots. see you're, you're typing. You're thinking something. Oh, just pause. Think. Does this tear down or does this build up? I want to I wanna bear true witness, not false witness. So how do I do that? Build up. Okay, that's option one. Option two now, another, another thing for us to consider the difference, there's vain flattery or genuine encouragement. Now, that intentionally flows from what we just talked about because if we're wanting to encourage someone, there is, there is a, a wrong way to do building up. This vain flattery idea really comes from when we try to get what we want, by saying positive things about somebody else, right? It's just like uh, kissing up, being a brown nose, teacher's pet, right, that kind of idea, just so you can really try to get leverage over that person. It's really not because you believe it. It's because you're just trying to get what you want. Proverbs speaks against this. Whoever hates uh disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whatever, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Just that idea, right, of a flattering for, the, for selfish gain. So even think about the person that you were just considering writing a note to. Is it because you're actually wanting to encourage them or because you're wanting something back from them? Is it that you're hoping that they get that? You're gonna, I'll just use it as an example, like you're gonna try to write that note to your boss in hopes that they might think better of you in hopes that you might get a better review in hopes that you might get that promotion or bonus? Or is it because you actually just want to encourage them? When you write that note to your spouse, is it because you're really hoping that that they'll write a note back to you? Or is it because you actually want to encourage your spouse? Is it because you're wanting to kind of, jab at them knowing that that's not their comfort thing, and so it's like, okay, great, now they got to do it to me. You're, you're kind of guilting them into that, or is that because you genuinely want to encourage them? See, genuine encouragement is good. A good word makes him glad, says Proverbs 12. So if we, we give that good word, it is helpful. It, it brings joy to people. That's why First Thessalonians, Paul writes, therefore encourage one another, build one another up. This is what you're supposed to be doing. I wonder, some of you are a little, like you got a little twitch when you heard me say that you're supposed to write a letter, get a stamp out. You have no clue how to do that. So I'm gonna give you a different task. You still have to write a letter because if you don't know how to let- write a letter, y- you like missed. You also don't know how to balance a checkbook and so that's really sad, okay? Just write a text message. So this is, this is a second assignment. Two pieces of homework, you don't get out of the first one because you do the second one, and if you know how to do the first one, you might not know how to do the second one. <laughs> right? Just write a text. Send a text to someone who this week, who just needs a word of encouragement. right? You're, this is what we're going to practice. True witness. I've seen this in you. You did a good job. Well done. Good job. Keep it up. Thank you. I, I've never been a school teacher, but uh, I'm, I'm always, uh, like, teachers have this way of, of writing a different thing on all of the A, right? A, good job. Best work. Proud of you. Keep it up. Nice. Awesome. And you're like, man, they just must live next to a thesaurus. <laughs> right? They just, it's like, why? Because because every time, if, if the kid gets good job every time, it's like, eh, okay. You know, my dad, he always graded papers uh, in green. He didn't like red, he always felt like it was like blood or something. So he always graded in green. But then when he was right, like there was just a, a part to that. He's like writing on there, hey, good job, keep it up. I noticed how hard, you worked hard for this one. Well done. Right? So maybe, maybe there's somebody you know, maybe, maybe your life group teacher who's been going at it all year long. Maybe your kid's life group teacher needs a note. All those that are like in the preschool area right now, with your kids, maybe you need to write, great job. I'm so thankful that you've given your time week after week. It's been a lot. Maybe there's somebody like that you just need to send a quick text to. And you know what it feels like to get one of those? Maybe, maybe you need to be the one who does that work. So that's, that's option number two, right? Option number three is stealing credit or showing honor. Hmm. What would stealing credit look like? What does it look like to bear false witness by claiming that something is mine when it's not? Quite literally, that's plagiarism, right? When When you write something down as though it is yours, or you speak words as though they are original to you when they are not. But what happens to us not in the, the school or the writing world most often is when we take credit for a job that you didn't do. Somebody says, good job, and instead of actually saying, well, they're the ones that did that, we're like, yeah, I am pretty good, thanks. Right? We, we take the credit. We don't actually bear true witness as to how the thing happened. And, we're, you know, we justify it because we say, well, you know, they were saying, I mean, I am the, the person ultimately responsible, so I, I guess it's okay for me to take credit for that thing. No, it's not. You might have even thought that this one should have gone in last week, right, stealing. <laughs> Do not steal. Well, don't steal credit. And I don't, I don't mind which one it goes in. Right? Whether it's do not steal or do not bear false witness. It also lands here because you are bearing false witness when you take credit for something you didn't say or something you didn't do. So what's the opposite of stealing credit? It's showing honor. It's looking for the ways to give credit to others. Romans 12 Gives us uh, this fantastic list of what marks of a Christian. Includes things like let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. What about even times you show honor to the one whose contributions to the project were minimal? Ever thought about that? You say, you, you you applaud the one who really it seemed like their their task was no more significant than anybody else's. In fact, maybe even less significant. It's like um, the the guy who sits the bench on the football team, and you give him a round of applause because he's there every day. He didn't really do anything. You don't think, but man, he was there. Right, you show honor. What about, what about when, when you're getting, even when you're getting right applause, like you were the one who did the job, you're the one who actually did the thing, but you are quick to show honor to someone else? That seems like a healthy idea. Showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. That sounds like, uh, if you're like me, that sounds like a competition, and I like that outdo one another. The goal is to, to show more honor to someone else than they should. Like, this is a, ooh, this is a game, right? Which leads us to option number four. Cowardly silence or courageous speech. The, the idea of cowardly silence and bearing false witness against your neighbor Is when you do not stand up for someone else. You know the truth, but you choose not to intervene. You know what's right, but then you fail to do it. James has some pretty strong words in James 4 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When you know the truth about someone and you say, I don't really want to get involved in that. I'll make it kind of messy. It's a little uncomfortable for me. I mean, I hate it for them. Wish someone would stand up for them, but not me. Ah, Like, ah, man, That, that thing that's happening at work or that thing that's happening at school, that gossip that's going around, I know that's not true, but, man, hope somebody speaks up for them. I mean, it's like, not going to be me, because if I say that, then they might not like me. They might, they might start to think that I do those things. Well, the opposite of cowardly silence is courageous speech. Actually taking the time to be bold, to speak truth when lies are what is preferred. When even you prefer the lie. When you prefer to not have to speak truth. The truth maybe of the reality of a situation that you don't really want to speak into, but you know you ought to. But maybe it's also speaking the truth of the gospel. Cowardly silence, bearing false witness, right? We're told that we are to be witnesses, Acts chapter 1. When the Spirit comes upon us, we'll receive power, we'll receive boldness, we'll receive courage. To be witnesses, do you think that's to be false witnesses? Of course not. We'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What will we be witnesses to? We'll be witnesses to the truth of the gospel that has changed our lives. You see, bearing false witness is when we are silent about the gospel. You ever thought about that? You break law nine every time you don't speak the gospel? Every time you know there's a a partner at work, a a co-worker, a a friend in the neighborhood, a classmate, a person on the ball team, another parent in the bleachers, and you know they're, they're hurting, they're grieving, and you know you have the answer in the gospel and you choose to be silent about it. You're bearing false witness. I'm bearing false witness when I'm silent. So we must be courageous in our speech. Speak the truth, the richness of the gospel. And this leads to one renowned reality. God is truth. God is truth. This is we must remember, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. You want to bear true witness? Bear Jesus. Share Jesus. Speak Jesus. You want to speak life? Speak Jesus. You want to think about ways to encourage people. Don't just speak of how good they are, speak of how good God has been to them. Right? Not, this isn't just write a note that says you're good, it's, it's write a note that says God is good in you, God has been good for you, God has been good to you. You ever heard the phrase, that's the gospel truth? Right? It means it's like the complete, total truth. And it may be hard to believe, but it's true. You, you know, it's, it's hard to believe truth sometimes. It's hard to believe that the creator of the universe wants a relationship with us. Like, it's, it's hard to grasp and fathom that despite our offenses, our sin against him, he chose to send his only son to take on the punishment of death for us. That is really hard to believe. I mean, if if you get right down to it, that truly seems unbelievable. Why would the God who has made all things, has all power, has all might, all strength, all knowledge, all wisdom, Why would he want to have anything to do with us grasshoppers? It's hard to believe that even in that, we can't earn our way, right? Like maybe if, if because we're such peons, he would want us to earn it. That we would have to do a certain amount of deeds that we would have to make sure that every one of these that we never broke them that we would have to live in such a way that we never failed never did wrong never messed up that we would have to give a lot of our uh, all of our money that we would have to uh, buy our way in that we would have to pray so many times a day that we would have to go to to do all of these things that we would have to uh, give to the poor that we would have to make sure that we met at church every single day that we would have to do something something would certainly earn his favor if this grand god had such peons of us, then surely we've got to do something. But that's not how grace works. It's hard to believe that this is truth. That's why we call this belief faith. Faith is believing in something that we cannot see. Faith is believing something that's hard to believe so grand, so good. So I wonder if somebody here today needs to choose to have faith. If you need to believe something that's hard. You need to take something more than just a practical application of writing a note or sending a text message, building someone up. Certainly do those things, but you need to hear the richness of the gospel. Maybe you need to turn from your sin, turn from yourself, your selfishness, your tendency to false witness, turn towards the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, right where you sit, you can trust in him. So I'm pleading with you to call on Jesus, to trust in him as Savior and Lord and follow his commands. want to give you a few reminders here about this reality that God is truth. One, God condemns false words. He tells us, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He condemns uh, the the sin of lying, of false words. So if this is a habit you have, (laughs) break the habit today. Right in, in the simplest of terms. Don't lie. Right, I said that's how we kind of started as a, as a as a kid. We try to remember that don't lie. In my house, you do something wrong, you get punished. You do something wrong and lie about it. It's not just double bad. Right, it's like quadruple bad. God condemns false words. God commands obedient lips. Over and over in Scripture, we see references to what God expects from our mouth. He even tells us, reminds us that when we can tame the tongue, he tells us we must be ones who speak the truth. So, so have obedient lips. Be one who speaks truth. And God commissions truthful witness. Just as we were reminded, we must have courageous speech. Your, your words, the, the word of God is how people come to faith in Christ. You know how you came to faith in Christ? The word of God. Someone told you the word of God. It could have been through a track. It could have been through a neighbor, a friend. It could have been through a random guy on the street. It could have been your preacher, your pastor. It could have been a teacher in vacation Bible school. It could have been a mom, dad, grandparent but someone showed you the gospel. If you want anyone else to know this truth, God has commissioned you to speak this truth, to bear true witness. There's some 3.2 billion people in the world today that have no access to this truth. So that's on us. Just as our neighbor and our coworker and our classmate It's on us. So church, let's do our job. Let's feel the the weight of responsibility that we carry in taking this good news to the lost. It is the hope of eternal life. Titus says that it is the hope which God who never lies promised before the ages. Our God never lies. Let's hear his truth and proclaim his truth. To the lost. In just a moment, we'll stand and respond in singing. When we do, uh, there are some who might need to come right here and grab somebody by the hand and simply say, "I wanna, I wanna turn my life over to Jesus. I wanna believe in this truth. I wanna surrender." If that's you today, then I urge you: you don't have to wait. You don't have to delay. As soon as we stand, then you can just make your way right down here. We would love to celebrate and rejoice in this decision with you. There might be some of you today who your response is to simply write one of those notes. Make that commitment. I'm going to do that this week. But for some, you, like me, our response is to give him the praise that he deserves. Because he is truth and worthy of our worship. So if you would, stand with me as we respond.